Looking for a new and healthier way to unwind? I was too, and then I tried Recess Mood. Recess Mood replaced that after-dinner alcoholic beverage for me, so I saw a difference in both my mood and my belly. It's made with real fruit, it is only 20 calories, and it contains no added sugar. Recess Mood is infused with functional ingredients like mood-lifting magnesium and stress-balancing adaptogens, so you can relax without the alcohol or the hangovers. Recess Mood tastes great, too, and comes in four different flavors. My favorite flavor is the Strawberry Rose. So whether you need a moment away from the errands, work, and kids, or you just need a moment of chill during dinnertime chaos, Recess Mood is where it's at whenever you need to relax and unwind. You deserve a healthier way to unwind. Head to takearecess.com slash RLRC and get 15% off Recess Mood, your go-to alcohol replacement. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Hey everyone, and welcome to Real Life Real Crime Daily for Wednesday, March 15th. And I'm Jim Chapman. And I'm Mike Agavino, which means there's a name that we skipped. Yes, there is. We are in missing man formation this morning. (laughs) We got a man down. Man down. Woody is down for the count. So, Jim, do you think Woody being sick, how do you think that impacts some of Woody's vices and his consumption of them. <laughs> well, but do you think he's, you know, he's he's on a zero alcohol? No, uh, I situation? think that's you, I think no? that's his medicine. <laughs> okay, so you think he's going to still work the alcohol? I think it's possible. And do you think he'll still reach for the occasional lung biscuit and uh, <laughs> uh, or uh, you know just to make sure that that throat is uh, is in perfect. Yeah, we got, we got to keep that voice good and raspy. His uh, his treatment plan, which sounds like it's sort of combination whiskey, cigarettes, and rest. Right. So the WSR. It's kind of like back in the old so West whiskey, times. Whiskey, cigarettes, and, and rest. Whiskey uh, cured everything in the Civil War, right? You threw it, you poured it down wounds, you drank it for pain medication, Heck, you drank it just to get by. So well, maybe. if he's back in the saddle with us for next show, we'll know that that combination of uh, of whiskey, cigs, and and uh, and rest is the way to is the way to beat this thing. But that's right. Seriously, uh, feel better, Woody. We miss you, and uh, I'm I'm a little sad because I wanted to talk a little bit with Woody today about my experience this past weekend because I learned uh, proper crawfish eating technique this weekend <laughs> and wanted to wanted to actually show him some yes. of the tricks of the trade that I had learned so he criticized my my technique. But um wanted to do a quick shout out and just say congrats to my son Law and his teammates at Isidore Newman who won the uh, state division three basketball championship this weekend, which is what set off the Crawdad eating fest along with a lot of other things being eaten fest along with a lot of other things being 
drinking. Liquid, <laughs> liquid <laughs> consumption. And so proud of him and proud of the team. And that was a awesome. And that's back to back. They yeah, won last year. Go Greenies. The Greenies win. Yeah, very good. All right. So in our last episode, we told y'all about Nathan Millard. He went missing in Baton Rouge and eventually he was found rolled in a carpet uh, in a, let's just say, really bad area of Baton Rouge. East Baton Rouge City Police came out and said that he was not considered a victim of foul play. And that created a lot of backlash. The wife had said that uh, she was looking for the state police to possibly take over the investigation. She did not feel like they were communicating with her. She had a lot of issues with that. You know, the police were basically saying this, there was no foul play. Well, the question was, how did he get rolled up in a carpet if there was no foul play? The obvious question. So Baton Rouge City Police came out. They released the name of an individual who was considered a person of interest by the name of Derek Perkins, 45 years old. And they had a slew of charges that they were looking to talk to him about. One of them was unauthorized use of a motor vehicle, access device fraud, and some other things. He also had some warrants out, I believe. And they kind of put out an APB on this guy. Well... The public was like, where was this information when you were saying he was not a victim of foul play? Monday, March 13th, he was finally arrested after several days of searching for Derek Perkins, and he was charged with unauthorized use of a motor vehicle, access device fraud, and uh, some fugitive charges. Now, In the affidavit, police say that Perkins used Millard's debit card at the Kangaroo Express, which is like a gas station uh, on Highland Road in Baton Rouge, which is kind of like a main street in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Uh, And it's also very close to the LSU campus. Now, police say Perkins was seen on surveillance video making multiple purchases at the store throughout the day. So he was going in and out several times. The purchases match Millard's bank statements. Now, Perkins also allegedly made purchases a few blocks away at a liquor store. Police allege the car that Perkins was seen in at the convenience store uh, as the same car that was reported stolen on February 3rd. The victim said he was helping a friend move when the car was stolen, and police say the same car, a blue 2004 Toyota Camry, matched the car Perkins was seen in at the convenience store. Now, the black male entered the store and used the debit card at the gas pumps. He was positively identified as Perkins by a confidential informant. So that's how they they came to know who this individual was. And obviously that he was using a dead person's debit card, which is obviously a problem. Now, police say license plate readers throughout Baton Rouge show that someone switched the plate on the car sometime at the end of February or the beginning of March. Now, Perkins' vehicle was found torched, set on fire, close to where Millard's body was recovered. A cadaver dog was able to lead officers to Perkins' car, specifically the trunk. So that makes you wonder right there. If they took out cadaver dogs, even though a body wasn't in that car, those cadaver dogs can sense that a body at some point was in that trunk. 
and they were they were keying in on that. So they have caught that individual. That's kind of some breaking news for you. And we're going to keep you updated on this case. This next story, Woody would have loved had he been had he been sitting here. And uh, hopefully he will listen and get uh, uh, and get uh, good enjoyment out of it. This is a weird one, but uh, an execution was scheduled in the state of Texas for a death row inmate by the name of Andre Thomas. They referred to him as a blind psychotic, and the reason they referred to him as a blind psychotic is because he gouged out both of his eyes. His attorneys have said that after he gouged out his second eye, he ate it to ensure that the government could not hear his thoughts. Tastes like chicken. <laughs> Unbelievable. So, <laughs> so the, uh, the execution that was scheduled for next month has uh, been delayed by a judge who reviewed the case on, on Tuesday. Uh, Thomas was supposed to be executed on April 5th. And that was uh, uh, the sentence handed down to him for fatally stabbing his estranged wife, Laura Christine Boren, who was 20, their four-year-old son, Andre Lee, and her 13-month-old daughter, Leah Hughes, and cutting out the hearts of the two children. Mm-hmm. Not a good uh, this guy. Is a, this is an effed up dude. He later told police that God had instructed him to commit the killings and that he believed all three, his estranged wife, the four-year-old son, and the 13-month-old daughter, were demons. The killings took place in a town called Sherman, Texas, which is uh, a sizable town, 45,000 residents, about an hour uh, north of Dallas. The Supreme Court has prohibited the death penalty for people who are described as intellectually disabled, but not for people with serious mental illnesses. So uh, intellectually disabled versus serious mental illness. There's some uh, nuance there between the definitions because I don't know what's uh, uh, which category you would put this particular individual in, but it, the, the Supreme Court ruled that a person must be competent to be executed. And mm-hmm. so uh, uh, this is now the, uh, the court speaking here. We are confident that when we present the evidence of Mr. Thomas's incompetence, excuse me, this is his attorney, the court will agree that executing him would violate the Constitution. More 11 is... Uh, the attorney's name, guiding this blind psychotic man to the gurney for execution offends our sense of humanity and serves no legitimate purpose. Does it defend, uh, does it offend your sense of humanity, Jim? Uh, (laughs) I would say it definitely offends my sense of humanity. Not that he is, you know, not the execution aspect, but the fact that of his crime. Yeah. But th- this is the attorney saying, uh, it offends. Yeah. It offends his not. Yeah. No, I don't think there's too many folks out there who are going to have our sense of humanity offended, uh, by this guy being gurneyed out to, uh, uh, to, uh, be put to death. And so, you know, we'll see what happens with this, uh, with this appeal. 
Thomas's attorney has until July 5th to file a motion asking for the inmate's competency to be reviewed. We would expect for uh, them to do that based upon the earlier statements. And so we uh, we will await that and see what happens next. But um, that was for you, Woody. Yeah, and a, a very strange case. And, and Woody would be the first one to tell you and, and something that he's hammered down many times when we've podcasted together is it's very hard to determine mental capacity. Now, on its face, this story, you look at a guy that's gouged out both of his eyes, eight, eight, one of them. Um, he killed his wife and his kids, pulled their hearts out. All of these things on its face. The guy's crazy, right? That's the first thing you say. This guy's got to be nuts. There's a lot that goes into that behind the scenes on how to determine that. And one of those is premeditation. Uh, did he take steps ahead of time to commit this crime that would prove that he's not crazy? Because when someone's crazy, they don't premeditate things. This is the thought process. So that that is something very hard to prove that someone's actually crazy. You can't look at everything on its face because the act itself is obviously crazy. Um, and then in addition to that, his mental capacity playing a part. I don't know that uh, I haven't seen any information on whether he's ever taken an IQ test or something. And he tested, you know, forties or fifties in a crime that you commit any sort of premeditation or planning, or even after, if you commit the crime and then you dispose of the murder weapon, you try to dispose of the bodies. Well, that takes the, the, uh, crazy aspect out of it. You're, you have too much planning before and after to justify that. So, uh, very hard thing to to prove, and and uh, even when it, on its face, it's the first thing you think. Well, I think if our absent partner was here, he would say something like, "They need to smoke them like a pack of cools." <laughs> I think he would. So let's would. let's hope that pack of cools gets smoked. That's right. This next one is unbelievable. We're talking about sushi terrorists. You heard that? Two right. words you probably never expected to hear back to back. But a 21-year-old man and two teens were arrested. This actually happened in Japan, so not at your friendly neighborhood sushi place. But a 21-year-old man and two teens were arrested following an unsanitary prank at a conveyor belt sushi restaurant. So I guess these have become really popular in Japan where you place your order and your sushi comes out on a conveyor belt and then you pick it up off of the conveyor belt as it comes out. So nobody is is delivering it to your um, uh, to your table. Three people have been arrested in Japan following their alleged connection to what is being described as sushi terrorism, unsanitary pranks at sushi conveyor belt restaurants that have been captured on viral video and sparked outrage. I guess what really drove this thing is uh, people were posting, the folks that were doing this were uh, posting it on social platforms. And so it became kind of a you know, not exactly the ice bucket challenge, but it became a, a viral thing. And so uh, people in a variety of these uh, of these kind of sushi restaurants were were doing this. So uh, police in the city of Nagoya 
arrested a 21-year-old named Ryoga Yoshino. And uh, what they're saying he allegedly did is licked a bottle of soy sauce in widely circulated video, um, as well as two other teens, ages 19 and 15, also doing this. So the, the authorities say that the three are being held for, quote, forcible obstruction of business, <laughs> a charge I am unfamiliar with. Uh, perhaps it's only uh, Japanese law, but, uh, but that's what they're being held for. And the alleged sushi terrorism incident took place at a restaurant called Kura Sushi, which is, as I said, one of these conveyor belt sushi restaurants. Um, police say that the circulation of the video, the restaurant's management company, uh, had to deal with compensation claims uh, from uh, from people who had eaten at the restaurant. So once this stuff started going around on social media, people started coming back to the restaurant um, and asking for uh, money back or even just uh, compensation claims um, afterwards. So the, the spokesperson from the restaurant told the uh, BBC that this had become a real trend, which has been happening since January on social media, and it's extremely dangerous. Um, so bunch of people doing it and posting on TikTok, et cetera, et cetera. All the suspects involved in this one uh, particular incident have allegedly admitted to their involvement in the prank, calling it a prank, with one allegedly apologizing to the authorities, according to reports. The statuses of their cases right now are unclear. Um, Conveyor belt sushi restaurants are looking to alleviate customer concerns, while some chains have opted to not use conveyor belts altogether, per the BBC. So uh, some of these restaurants that were using this conveyor belt uh, uh, technology to operate have gone back to a more traditional means of serving. And, uh, uh, and so their people are no longer grabbing food off of these belts. But Kurosushi, which is the restaurant where this happened, aims to use artificial intelligence to crack down on unsanitary behavior. And they aim to use artificial intelligence. Hmm. So I guess add that to the, you know, there's lots of claims that artificial intelligence won't replace, you know, sentient beings. Um, but this case certainly goes counter to the notion. Uh, so yeah. get rid of those people. And, and uh, you know, I, I don't know. You ever been a food server, Jim? I have not. You Actually, never, one of the jobs. Never I've done never, that. Never done that. Okay. Well, I I, uh, I did a little bit of of this in my youth, and uh, I don't know what the statute of limitations on something like this would be, but I think I'm <laughs> I think I'm probably clear of it. Anyone that works in the food service industry, I mean, you deal with all kinds of people every day. People that are great to you, tip well, are very friendly, and then people that are absolute jerks. And sure. at a point in time, I. Uh, worked in a very snooty uh, place as a, as a server. And, you know, if somebody did me wrong, 
I might take a little. Oh, Lord. Don't I might say take it. a little. Don't say I might it. take a little shot back, Jim. <laughs> my, my preferred one was the booger to the tuna oh, fish. Oh, you know, going to be like that. And they deserve a little, a little shot of booger in the tuna fish. Uh, um, anyway, that is uh, our sushi terrace. Well, I'll tell you, uh, you know, a couple of years back, um, there was a big outrage and I, I want to say it was bluebell ice cream, but I can't remember exactly, uh, what type of product it was, but it was in the United States and people were doing something very similar. They were licking the, it might've been bluebell ice cream and correct me if I'm wrong peeps, but, uh, yeah, Woody's talked about this. Right? They were licking. They were actually pulling the lid off, licking it, and putting the lid back on in grocery yeah, stores. That's, that's really bad, man. I've, I've never had a desire to do that, and and then you're doing it for somebody you don't know who's going to get that. So it's not a it's not Mike at the restaurant. Someone pissed him off, right? This is uh, this is just d- disgusting, and so. Uh, not the first time that that's come around. Maybe, maybe the first time with sushi, but not the not the first time that idea has has come up. But uh, something that actually took place here in the United States a few years ago as well. Shout out to Astro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. My allergies are throwing my whole morning off. Do I sound different to you? I love that. You sound like, <laughs> it's that time of year there, bro. I sound different to me. I feel like I'm in a submarine. Yeah, well, have you tried Astro? It's faster, bro. Oh. Right? Astro is the first of its kind nasal allergy spray. It is the fastest 24-hour over-the-counter allergy spray. It starts working in 30 minutes while other allergy sprays take hours. Astro is the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray. Astapro delivers full prescription strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. Hey, I use this, and you should too, Jim. Last weekend, I planted my garden, and it's that time of the year, and my allergies really kicked up with it, right? I use Astapro every time my nasal allergies flare up, and I'm always amazed at how fast I'm back in the game, down on those rows, playing my stuff. Get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to AstaproAllergy.com for a discount so you can Astapro and go today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O Allergy.com. It's faster, bro. Uses directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. Astapro and go. It's springtime, boys. The grass is green, the birds are chirping, and the kids will be out of school soon. That makes it the perfect time to plan a family vacation. And we know from the stories we cover that this is not exactly the time to take the family to the Caribbean. You don't want to end up in the middle of some cartel drug shootout. So this year, it's time to take an international journey. And of course, a big international trip is just one reason to learn a new language with Rosetta Stone. You might have a different one. Maybe you want to connect with family or friends living overseas. Maybe you want to acquire a new skill for work or better understand a certain culture. Rosetta Stone has helped me have fun with my mother and at least have partial conversations in Italian after only a few lessons. Rosetta Stone is the trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users in 25 languages offered. Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, Arabic, Polish, and many more. 
Rosetta Stone immerses you in many ways. No English translation, so you really learn to speak, listen, and think in that language. Intuitive process? You pick up a language naturally. Designed for long-term retention. Speech recognition. The true accent feature is like having a personal trainer for your accent. Rosetta Stone is convenient and an amazing value. That's right, Woody. A lifetime membership has all 25 languages for any and all trips and language needs. That's lifetime access to all 25 language courses Rosetta Stone offers for 50% off. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Real Life Real Crime and Daily Show listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today. Sayonara. Folks, I'm really looking forward to this next story that uh, that Jim is going to deliver, and I'm really looking forward to it because there's a last name in this story that has 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, has 16 letters <laughs> in it. And uh, yes, it does. we're going to see how Jim does on this last name. When we came across this story, y'all, uh, and and uh, Mike volunteered me to do it, <laughs> I, the first thing I said was, have you seen the names in this story? Because everybody knows that my pronunciation of, you know, I'm a good old country boy from South Louisiana, and, and there's one word in here I'm going to do my best on. So let's, let's talk about this, and this is something that hits a little close to home, and it's podcasters, and there were a couple of... Okay, uh, but here's the rule. Yes. We are... We are not going to edit out the first attempt at this name. We're going, leave, we're going to leave that one in, and then you know we'll we'll clean it up if we have to after. But I'm I'm betting on you that okay. you're gonna you're gonna nail this one. <laughs> Boy, you got confidence in me today, Mike. I'm going to do my best. So, a Washington-based podcaster and her husband are dead. And police say the suspect was one of her own listeners who had been stalking her for months. Uh, Police said in a recent press release that they responded to the call of shots fired at a home. And it was about 1.45 a.m. this past Friday. And they found three dead at the scene. Police identified the suspect, Raymond. (laughs) Cotter Kadaka Rimsey. <laughs> That's the best I can do. I'm probably not even close. That's the 16 letter word, y'all. Uh, well, let's just refer to them as Ramin through the rest of this story. Ramin, okay. That, that would probably be better, but I think it would be Koda Karamazai. Koda Karamazai. Ramin Koda Karamazai, 38. As one of the deceased, though police did not release the names of the victim victims, the Daily Beast reported them as 33-year-old podcaster Zora Sadegi and her 35-year-old husband, Muhammad Nasseri. Police said when they entered the home, they had found a man who the Daily Beast identified as Nasseri lying on the floor injured from a gunshot wound and performed CPR. However, he succumbed to the injuries 
and was pronounced dead at the scene. He had been shot in the upper torso and had actually been trying to escape the home but collapsed near the front door. They went further into the home and discovered the bodies of Sadigi and Ramin. Ramin in the primary bedroom, per ABC News. Lowe told reporters that Ramin had died from a self-inflicted gunshot room. Now, Ramin had broken into the couple's home through a window. Sadiqi's mother had also been in the house, but she escaped and called 911 at a neighbor's home. Police said in a press release they were familiar with Sadiqi and the home as both had been part of a stalking investigation. So he was stalking uh, this female podcaster well before this incident took place. Uh, Ramin contacted Sadiqi after listening in on a podcast she was featured in about gaining employment in the tech industry. Police said that the two exchanged messages became friends, but then things escalated. Sadiqi contacted police in December about harassing behavior by Ramin and told them that he would repeatedly contact her on the phone and even called her more than 100 times in a single day. Uh, he said this eventually escalated to in-person stalking and that Ramin had visited her house once before and even followed her to a conference in Denver. Sadiqi filed a no-contact order against Ramin and was granted a temporary protection order uh, to prevent contact between them, but police said at a press conference that they had been trying to find Ramin, who is believed to have been from Texas. They were having a hard time, though, finding him, because he was a long-haul truck driver, and, of course, that keeps folks moving from state to state, and he was just kind of hard to track down. Okay, can we just – I know there's there's more to this, but can we go time out for a second sure. and just talk about a couple of these things? Number one, I mean, this is, this is scary because this is what we do, right? Yeah. And there's that woman who wrote all those nasty things about me this morning that we were talking about a little while ago. But um, – <laughs> but – she has a husband. Yeah. He's also a podcaster. Yeah. What the hell, Mohammed, what, what the F did Mohammed do about this guy, Ramin? I mean, he's stalking your wife. He follows her to a conference. Calls her over in Denver. Times he calls in her a hundred times a day. And, you know, look, they, they, uh, you follow the rules and you call the police and you, you know, get your restraining order or whatever the heck you're going to do. But at a certain point, you're her husband and here's this guy and what the heck are you doing to protect your wife? I mean, I, I don't get where Muhammad fits into this uh, thing and why he wasn't packing. Well, and, and, and we're assuming he wasn't. We don't we don't know that. Maybe they were sleeping. The guy got the jump on him, shot him in the hip. He was injured. Maybe he couldn't get to his gun. I, I, I don't know. Um, this was at nighttime that this took place. Yeah, so no, they were so likely sleeping. And maybe, maybe. But the guy he, broke into their house. Yeah. Yeah. Broke in. Uh, and he was shot, the, the husband. So, yeah. So. Um, uh, well, I'm sorry. I, mean, I know he passed away, but but it just seems to me most of the time uh 
you know, these women are dealing with these crazies and getting restraining orders and they're by themselves trying to protect themselves. Right. This woman had a husband who just, at least the way that, that with the available information, it doesn't, doesn't look like, um, like he did a, a whole hell of a lot to make them more safe. Right. Well, and it's important to keep in mind that a, you know, restraining order is really just a piece of paper that should a suspect violate the restraining order, it gives the police officers, you know, the right to arrest this guy without anything taking place. So if I got a restraining order on somebody and they showed up on my property, that's all it would take. Or they showed up, you know, sometimes these restraining orders will have, you can, you can't even be within so many feet of somebody uh, and you don't even necessarily have to be committing any other crime and you can be arrested for it. But the police said, you know, the crime has to take place relative to violating the restraining order before they can do anything. And in this case, obviously he violated the restraining order, but by that time it was too late. Mm. Just a sad situation there uh, for, for those folks. And our hearts go out to their families for sure. Really sad. Um, Moving on to some more sad news, and and that relates to the story we brought you uh, last episode regarding the cartel that had killed two Americans uh, of the four that were traveling to Mexico for a, a cosmetic surgery. Do you know there was actually a fifth? There was, but uh, she was a local woman to Mexico, correct? No, I believe she traveled with them, but she forgot her passport. And because she forgot, she didn't have any identification, oh, she couldn't that. go into Mexico. Okay. And she was the one who originally reported it to the U.S. Uh, authorities because uh, she was trying – to get a hold of them because the, the plan had been that the uh, that the other three were going to drop off the woman who was having the tummy tuck surgery mm-hmm. and come back across the border um, and meet back up with this other person, this fifth person. Okay. And when they didn't show up because it was – supposed to be a quick drop off supposed to take 10 minutes to get there 10 minutes to get back something like that she was expecting them uh very quickly and they didn't show and then as she started calling uh their phones she wasn't getting um she wasn't getting any um any answer uh to the to the phone so that uh that was a a new tidbit i just saw last night well uh um you know the mexican drug cartel uh they feel bad about this happening apparently. And uh, they sent a letter apologizing for last Friday's deadly kidnapping. And in that kidnapping, uh, you can actually see the video on really anywhere online uh, where they just jerk these four people from their vehicle, throw them in the back of a truck. Uh, They killed two Americans and there was a local woman local to that area. They also killed, um, and they wrote a letter apologizing for this. Um, the letter, which perpetrates to be the Gulf cartel 
claim those who carried out the attack have been turned over to law enforcement. And you can actually find the picture and we're going to post the picture on Facebook of the, of the, um, of the cartel members that uh, were turned over to law enforcement by the cartel themselves. And in the letter, we're going to, you know, just read that to you real quickly. It says, we strongly condemn the events that took place on March 7th, where unfortunately an innocent working mother died and four American citizens were kidnapped, of which two died. And therefore, we have decided to hand over those involved and directly responsible for the events which at all times acted under the determination and indiscipline and against the rules that the Gulf cartel has continuously operated respecting the life and integrity of the innocent. The CDG apologizes to the Matamoros society, the relatives of miss Arley, the affected American individuals and families, the C. DG asked the community to be calm because we are committed to ensuring that these errors caused by the indiscipline are not repeated and that those responsible pay whoever they may be. Sincerely, the CDG. That is my God. Cr- Y'all, that they is have their own the freaking cartel stationary. That's uh, that's that's wonderful. But you know, uh, excuse me. Uh, apology not accepted. <laughs> apology complete bullshit. Okay, uh, you people are sending fentanyl over the border every day, killing thousands of Americans without feeling one iota of guilt. I think what what we're seeing here is a cartel that is concerned that. They broke the rules. Probably their story is probably legit that they thought they were uh, uh, they a case of mistaken identity. And because uh, they know the crimes that they're committing every day uh, more or less are are happening right under the noses of law enforcement and everybody's just letting it happen. Right. So they've got a really nice business killing uh uh, American youth every day with their uh, with their drugs or helping people cross. And I don't I don't know Gulf Cartel versus the others, and you know wh- whether they're more focused on, uh, uh, on on border crossings than uh, than bringing drugs in, uh, uh, et cetera. But we know that that these people are operating, and that essentially the government on both sides but particularly on the Mexican side, but on both sides is sort of let this stuff happen. So this, they, they ran a foul here of the rules as, you know, they see them mm-hmm. and uh, some innocent uh, Americans were killed. And so they come out with an apology as if, you know, they operate under some kind of ethical code that's, uh, that's worth all of us respecting bullshit. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the attorney general for that area actually came out and uh, and said the kidnapping appeared to be a case of mistaken identity and that the group of Americans likely got confused with a rival Haitian gang. Uh, and as I told you, they, they posted a picture of five men who were shown they were bound and they were in a face down position. And we'll post that on Facebook so you can see. And, uh, 
basically turn them over to authorities. So these are the guys. And I can only imagine, Mike, that uh, from the standpoint of this cartel, it's one thing if you're, uh, I guess, the way you're saying it, you're killing Americans secondhand. And then uh, another way, if you're, you know, executing them, pulling them out of a out of a vehicle, throwing in, them into a pickup. Look, they don't want that problem, right? This is this is a lot of heat on that cartel that they don't want. It's you know, it's one thing when you're killing your fellow people in Mexico or fellow cartel uh, rivals. It's a whole nother thing when you kill some innocent Americans. They're not stupid. They know that. And so whoever is in charge over there basically said, we need to clean up the mess. Uh, we need to turn these guys over because they don't want that heat, and they're hoping and praying that it goes away at this point, right? We've we've done our part. We even sent you an apology letter. What well, else can we do? Well, to me, uh, there's a there's a silver lining in this, uh, uh, only from the standpoint that it shows fear, and the the fact that there's fear to me says they know that they could be dealt with. They could be stopped. They could all be arrested, that we could actually take military, that there are all kinds of things that the United States could do that would interfere in a great way with their livelihood or possibly interfere in a great way with their lives. And so this is, uh, uh, this is an apology made out of fear of U.S. retribution and uh, for for us in any way to accept that, uh, you know, is a joke. Absolutely. These poor uh, two people that were killed. And uh, the, the, the people that we have the pictures of the bodies, mm-hmm. they were supposed to turn them over. Have they actually turned them over to us? They have turned them over, to my knowledge. This is a fluid story, uh, but I can tell you, uh, if anything comes out of this, it is just what you said. It it shows a little bit of fear that uh, these these folks know mess with innocent Americans. There's probably going to be some backlash you don't want. And uh, look, it happens all the time. Traveling to Mexico, people get it, there's friends of mine that I have that that they've traveled to Mexico in the past and you always bring extra cash. And that extra cash is because if you get pulled over, you're probably going to have to pay some of that extra Mm -hmm. cash. And those are things that have been going on kind of forever in Mexico. But murder is different. It's, It's not typical that Americans get murdered in Mexico and the the reason for that is just what you're seeing now because it's a huge outcry and it can create a response they don't want. It's bad for business. Uh, for sure. Yeah. I have a feeling that this story is just going to continue to be a story and we're going to be talking about it every week or at least uh, every few weeks. So the the Alex Murdaugh story enters a new chapter here. And uh, as a, as the second honorable member of the all Woody team, we owe it to you to give you updates on uh, what's going on in the life of Alex Murdaugh. So there are a couple of things that have happened here in the uh, past week, week and a half or so that are of note. The first is 
which we all knew was going to happen, uh, which is that his lawyers are uh, filing an appeal. In a uh, sign of the times, Jim, because I imagine this wasn't done a century ago, the appeal was announced on Twitter by Dick Harputlian, the defense attorney, who I would have bet didn't wouldn't know what Twitter was, <laughs> uh, but I would have been wrong there, I guess. But uh, uh, last Thursday, he went on Twitter and announced that he and Jim Griffin have filed a notice of appeal. Yeah, we knew that was coming. That this is the next step in the legal process to fight for Alex's constitutional right to a fair trial. Mm. So the trial that we all witnessed for 28 days or 29 days, whatever it ended up being, was unfair, according to them. And he went on to say, no amount of vitriol or misguided attacks will stop us from pursuing due process for Alex to the fullest extent of the law. Amazing that he announced that on Twitter to me. And for those of you that may not, uh, you know, Dick Harputlian is is an older gentleman who you would not think tweeted. Uh, I mean, he's he's got to be in his 70s. Um, and, uh, you know, not that that's old. And, you know, that's that's. That's getting up there, but that's these days. Young for that's, U.S. president. That's right. <laughs> that's right. And so uh, so I just found it uh, almost comical that he announced that on Twitter, but it is a sign of the times. And uh, look, Murdoch, as much as we try to put him out of the news, he keeps popping back in there. Our last episode, I'm hoping, Mike, that we entertain some people with the crazy Murdoch phone calls, prison phone calls that we put on there. Y'all, one of the most interesting things about Alec Murdoch to me listening to those prison phone calls, and if you hadn't heard them yet, go back and listen, uh, is his absolute detachment with reality. During some of those conversations, one in particular, Mike, he, he actually said to his son, Buster, he was talking to Buster. He says, you got some money for, for rent? And Buster says, uh, you know, that he was scrounging up some money. He had some money, but he was going to try to scrounge up some more. And he said, well, you need to ask. I believe it was uh, it was Murdoch's brother. You need to ask him for some money. And he says, are you apprehensive to ask him? Is that the problem? And he says, well, it's it's not really fair that he should have to pay for my, you know, my rent in my apartment. And and Alex said, it's okay. I already told him I was going to pay him back. <laughs> I swear to God, that came out of his mouth. And I'm thinking, uh, what about the other $90 million you stole from people that you have not paid back? And He's good for it all. He's good is, for it. He there's actually a number, said There's it a without, number of prison schemes that can be really lucrative. Oh yeah. so he's, pay it back in he's, soup. He's building a business plan right now. Well, it, the story doesn't stop there. There's more going on in the world of Murdoch. Um the actual trial in the Mallory Beach wrongful death suit is supposed to uh, take place in August. And so Murdoch's going from finishing one case to now gearing up for uh, for this next one. So uh, uh, the wrongful death suit that was originally filed in 2019 is, uh, is now upon us. And, uh, and that's a civil suit, correct, Mike? 
Yes, that's, this is the uh, Mark Tinsley, who you remember from the trial, represents the Beach family, mm-hmm. who uh, uh, whose pursuit, whose really relentless pursuit of, uh, uh, of Murdaugh uh, really was a key piece in, uh, in, in moving in moving things forward. So uh, be interesting to see where that leads us in August. Now that related to, uh, to Paul, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, but we also have the family of the former housekeeper, uh, uh, maid, family member, uh, Gloria Satterfield looking to exhume her body so that a bunch of testing can be performed to try and figure out whether her death was truly accidental or she was murdered. Yeah. So he's not going to be bored in uh, the uh, <laughs> the days after his trial. There's enough stuff uh, flying around, and I, I don't know what you could do post uh, exhuming that body that's going to to answer that kind of question. I mean, maybe if, if she were drugged, they could, uh, uh, they could find something. Well, and, and, you know, her, her death was, was ruled the cause of tripping and falling. And so you would expect, you know, if, if she, if she had a, a fracture in her head, you know, you would expect that with a fall. So the problem is if he hit her with something and it fractured her somewhere, how do you how do you determine whether that was caused by the fall or whether that was caused by being pushed? Um, yeah, I don't I don't know, but maybe they're just they're just making sure there's nothing there that they missed uh, in that respect. Well, we will let you know what develops there, and that's it for Murdaugh News. Hey, y'all, my wife's biggest struggle this past year was fighting the symptoms associated with menopause, hot flashes, mild mood swings, and sleeplessness. She had them all until she tried Hormone Harmony. She was amazed at how much Hormone Harmony reduced her symptoms and supported her mood and her general well-being. Hormone Harmony is not just a supplement for women going through perimenopause, menopause, or postmenopause. It's become a phenomenon. Women cannot stop talking about it on social media. A bottle of Hormone Harmony is sold every 24 seconds. Hormone Harmony contains science-backed herbal extracts called adaptogens. Now, here's the beauty about adaptogens. They help the body adapt to any stressors, like chaotic hormonal changes that happen naturally throughout a woman's life. So hormone harmony isn't just for menopause. Any woman with symptoms of hormonal imbalances can take it. But it's perfect for those horrible menopause symptoms that put a woman's life on hold. Hot flashes and night sweats, racing thoughts and low moods, Poor sleep and feeling tired all the time. Occasional bloating and gas. No desire to be in bed next to someone, if you know what I mean. Yeah, Hormone Harmony can help with all of these things. For a limited time, you can get 15% off your entire first order at happymammoth.com. Just use the code RLRC at checkout. That's happymammoth.com and use the code RLRC for 15% off today. 
Why Are So Many Dogs Suffering From Health Issues? Actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her foundation, says she's seeing more health issues with dogs' joints, odors, and health than ever before. And after doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can look to improve any dog's health. What she discovered is that the way many dog foods are made can actually create toxins that could be wrecking our dog's health. And this is true for many premium brands. Fortunately, she found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw huge transformations in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step how anyone can do this same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. Now, my dog, Phoebe, is the queen of our house, and I can tell you that her health is extremely important to us. She is a part of our family. I watched the video, y'all, and I was amazed by the things I didn't know that could impact your dog's health. This 20-minute video is packed full of tips that I've already started with my dog, Phoebe. I'm noticing more energy, healthier skin and coat. If you want to keep your dog healthy and happy, go to badlandsfood.com slash R-L-R-C and watch Catherine's video right now. Again, that's B-A-D-L-A-N-D-S-F-O-O-D.com slash R-L-R-C. R-C. Now let's travel to Minnesota, where a dad used a moose antler to kill a sex offender, Jim. Love it. This Minnesota man, uh, the victim, uh, was named Lawrence Scully. A Minnesota man by the name of Lawrence Scully was convicted of molesting a six-year-old girl way back in 1979. The man with the moose antler believed that this guy Scully was stalking his younger daughter. So he walked in to a Minnesota police station covered in blood and told the police that he beat the man with a shovel 15 to 20 times and finished him off with a moose antler. The suspect's name, and this suspect, uh, you know, he walked into the police station covered in blood and admitted to using a shovel 15 to 20 times and finishing him off with a moose antler. But in in this world, he is uh, alleged, and he is a suspect. Levi Axtell, 27, was taken into custody and arraigned on second-degree murder charges in the death of now 77-year-old Lawrence Scully, who had been convicted of that uh, of that murder way back in 1979. Axtell was suspicious of Scully and believed that Scully had been stalking his toddler daughter at her daycare. Axtell said he had known Scully for some time, and he believed him, and quote, he believed him to have sexually offended other children in the past. He said that he observed Scully parked in a vehicle at locations where children were pre- present and believed he would reoffend. He filed an order of protection against Scully, which was initially granted but dropped several weeks later. It's unclear why the order of protection was dropped. 
The Cook County Sheriff's Office received a 911 call from a citizen who watched someone pull into Scully's Grand Marais driveway, smash a vehicle, and then run into the house. This would be Axtell, according to the affidavit. The citizen then heard screaming coming from the house. While on the call approximately a minute later, the citizen told the dispatcher the man was driving to the police station. So Axtell apparently came out of the house after the screaming and everything else and told that neighbor that he was driving over to the police station to turn himself in. That's when uh, Axtell uh, allegedly told police what happened. Uh, He was covered in blood. He put his hands on his head and said he had murdered Scully with a shovel. Here's the part that made me giggle a little bit. The, The deputies from the Cook County Sheriff's Office found Scully uh, in in his home, uh, quote, obviously dead from the serious nature of his head wounds. Hmm. Obviously dead from the serious nature of his <laughs> No head need wounds. to take a pulse, in other yeah. words. Is that the official designation, obviously <laughs> dead? I've never heard uh, I've never heard that one. So uh, the cause of death he killed him good. He killed him good. Yes, he did. <laughs> the cause of death was blunt force head injuries, and uh, uh, Scully had wounds on his arms that are consistent, you know, as defensive wounds. Axtell was arraigned Friday and is being held in the Cook County Jail on a million dollar bond, despite the objections from his lawyer Dennis Shaw. Shaw noted Axtell had no serious criminal history until now, and his longtime ties to the city made him a minimal flight risk. I think despite all that, when somebody off somebody with a shovel and a uh, a set of moose antlers, that uh, you're probably better off with that person staying in jail. <laughs> That's a heck of a way to yes. go. So he remains in jail. Um, and uh, his next court appearance is scheduled for April 10th. We will look forward to seeing Mr. Extel appear in court on April 10th. Absolutely. Moose antlers. Wow. Well, we got first use a shovel. You always first use a shovel yeah. to soften them up before <laughs> using, before turning to the antlers. That's right. That's right. Now we're introducing a, uh, you know, a couple little, I don't know if you call them wrinkles, Mike, but some, some great segments uh, to our episodes upcoming. And one of those is our What I'm Watching segment. And for this week, it's it's uh, I'm going to take this one and I'm going to talk about a show that I absolutely binged on this past weekend on Netflix. And that is called MH370 the plane that disappeared. So I'm going to tell you all a little bit about this uh, story. For those of you that can remember back in 2014, Malaysia Airlines flight MH370, which was a 777, a very large uh, airplane, took off. It was headed towards Beijing from Kuala Lumpur. And shortly after takeoff, it vanished in a thin air. And this was all over the news. I remember it when it, you know, initially happened, uh, literally, literally this plane left, uh, the airspace of, uh, Kuala Lumpur 
And as soon as it went to switch over from those flight controllers to the flight controllers in Beijing, it completely disappeared. Um, there's only one way that can happen typically. Well, there's a couple of ways the plane can blow up uh, or someone can intentionally shut off all tracking, right? Any electronic communication system that communicates with satellites. Uh, it was totally perplexing. The problem was there were 12 crew members and 227 innocent people uh, on this flight and uh, which was a total of 239 passengers. So this is this is a major, massive, big deal. Uh, they came out with some theories over time, and I don't want to give you the whole story, but one of those theories was the pilot flew a suicide route. And one of the the interesting things that they used, and incidentally, that is my theory. I think of what happened. One of the the most likely things in my mind because they went to this guy's uh, house shortly after the plane went missing, the captain. And this was a very experienced captain, had a ton of time behind a plane. Not only that, he had a simulator at home and they were able to go to that simulator, pull the hard drives and figure out he had flown a similar path that through satellites, they were able to kind of determine pings, almost like on a cell phone. And his flight was almost exactly like those pings on that cell phone. And where what, what they're basically assuming happened is that this plane completely turned around after it turned all those communication devices off, and it just flew, flew, flew in the Indian Ocean until it ran out of gas. Um, and the theory is it was a suicide mission by this captain. They have no idea why, uh, there was nothing in his past to show this, but the fact that he had flown a similar path in his home simulator, mm, awfully coincidental, but there are many other theories. I don't want to give away the whole story for you. Uh, you can definitely go check it out. One of the, a very interesting documentary there. Netflix does a great job with them all the time. I'm a documentary guy. Uh, and I saw it was, <clears throat> it was ranked number one yes. last night. Uh, yeah. I saw, and uh, I mean, this was a huge story. I remember, actually, funny. I remember Don Lemon on CNN oh. actually saying uh, that a legitimate theory of his was that it flew into a black hole. He actually said that on <laughs> CNN. A black hole. Yeah, flew into a black hole. Um, but yeah, I mean, this was the top story in the country for weeks. Yeah. Right. Um, it was, it was, it, and it was uh, very intriguing because nobody, I mean, it literally disappeared into thin air, just total thin air. And, and uh, there were no, you know, there's, there's, Folks out there, and they're called Tomadors, Tom Noters, uh, and these folks basically what they do is is they're kind of like old ham radio operators, right? But they use satellite technology to look at. Think of Google Earth, mm. and and when there's disappearances like this, or or even other cases, they volunteer to go look through just hours and hours of of 
pictures of broad ocean and see if they can see like a little pilot uh, wing, you know, airplane wing floating in the ocean somewhere. And, and they had some that found some debris that they are convinced to this day is that plane in the South China sea. But, uh, but that, you know, that keeps getting re rebuffed. What did you say? The crew was seven uh, crew of seven, 12 crew of 12. I mean, could this guy row? Could he solo uh, pull this off? Wouldn't I'm, other I'm crew you, members be in a position to stop him from so, doing this? So I'm glad you asked that. And and uh, they had a a guy from the United States that is a he's actually a blogger, a fan, uh, famous in the blog world, and he investigates uh, aircraft and aircraft tragedies, and that's kind of like his thing. He was all over this case, obviously, when it occurred. And his theory was that the captain innocently told the co-pilot, hey, go grab me something out of uh, my locker, let's say. And the cat and the, the co-pilot got up, and when he walked out to grab it out of the locker, he locked the, 77, the 777's uh, door. Well, since 9-11, that door's locked. You ain't getting in it. You ain't getting it. This thing's reinforced like uh, like the best safe you've ever had in your life. So he locked it, and then he depressurized the cabin, put on a mask. And the issue with that is, yes, all the oxygen masks will drop out of the ceiling like you see on any flight. Uh, but what a lot of people don't know is you, you as a passenger have about 15 minutes of oxygen in that case. The pilot, however, has hours of oxygen. So the theory is he locked him out, depressurized the cabin, oxygen mask come down. After 15 minutes, there's no oxygen in there. So the people just go to sleep and pass away as he's flying. And so he's got hours of oxygen because he's the pilot, and he just flew it into the ocean. That's the theory. One of the theories. One of the many. <clears throat> so – if that theory is correct, 238 people knew mm. they were on a death flight and had however much time in that they had to live. Yeah. What, what surprised me and why that theory bothers me just a little bit is of those 238 people, if that situation happened and technology where it's at, nobody tried to send a text. Nobody tried to – I mean – there was no communication with the outside world, but everybody's got cell phones. You could have emailed some, and I mean, you can you can now be twenty thousand feet in the air, and, and you can you can still text. It may not go through until you get down closer to ground, but I can't believe that people didn't try to text and and look. Even if you're crashing, you're going to get to a point in time where that text is going to go through on the way down, right? I mean, um. Yeah, <clears throat> but who knows what the uh, what the passengers were doing? I mean, if if uh, yeah, you know, yeah, you're, it's all you're, who knows? They all could have been attacking that door, trying to using whatever they could find to try and break through it, despite uh, all the reinforcement. I mean, yeah, and you've only um, got about fifteen minutes, so yeah, you're right. What an awful, awful, awful uh, situation! But a a fantastic. Uh, 
a fantastic Netflix documentary that is brand new, just came out, and you'll enjoy. Certainly better than watching the Oscars, which <laughs> I did not. Which watch no one did. Oscars. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, actually, I think I saw 18 million people did, which is really, oh, really. If you look at pre-COVID numbers, way, way down. Yeah. Yeah. So on to some, some another news story that's really going to uh, blow your mind, to say the least. A Oklahoma cheerleader coach who had sex with a student 300 times, 300 times, was manipulative and controlling, say the, the cops. A former Oklahoma cheerleading coach was allegedly manipulative and <laughs> boy, struggle with that word. I'm going to leave that in. And controlling and forced a sophomore to have sex with her several times a week for about five years, according to a probable cause affidavit. Jennifer Hawkins, 45, was a part-time employee in the Moore Public School District and had an alleged relationship with the victim. And she has since been fired. Imagine that. Uh, the victim was a sophomore when the relationship started in September of 2017. And, of course, has since graduated. Now, uh, on January 27th of this year, the victim sent a letter to district officials from a rehab center in California. He basically detailed the allegations against Hawkins. When authorities confronted Hawkins, she initially denied the allegations, but then admitted she made a mistake. She started crying and, and said she was having a sexual relationship with the student. When asked, She made 300 mistakes. Yeah, yeah. Well, when they asked her how many times did you have sex with the victim, she repeatedly stated, I got no clue. So the victim then told police in a separate interview that she had sex over 300 times at her house, uh, which went on during lunch. The victim briefly dated Hawkins' daughter, which is how he and the now-fired employee met. The victim allegedly told police in a separate interview that he had sex with her over 300 times, and this went on during lunch. Now, the victim briefly dated Hawkins' daughter, which is how he and the now-fired high school employee met. And while watching a soccer game at her house initially, Hawkins touched his private area and said he would remember that soccer match for the rest of his life. Now, most of these sexual encounters happened in Hawkins' home, where she brought the victim during lunch. In text, he, being the victim, told Hawkins, I want you in my life. I just don't want a romantic relationship. Hawkins was arrested and charged with second-degree rape and sexual battery. So, 300 times, Mike. Well, I okay. So I got a couple of couple things here. So this started when he was seventeen as a sophomore. Yeah. So uh, back in started back in twenty seventeen when he was a sophomore, where he likely would have been sixteen, probably. And so six years. I was twenty fifteen. Twenty two today. Usually you're 18 when you're a senior, right? So 
So it could have been, it could have been 15, 15 16, 16, right? And, well, first of all, they're going to her house. They're going to her house during lunch constantly. I mean, didn't anyone see that and think that was a little bit strange? I mean, I'm shocked that. Well, I'm I mean, sure I mean, they it, kept that under wraps. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, a teacher taking off with a student at lunchtime is kind of a, a weird one if it's happening that that often. But I'm struck by the fact that, okay, he's 16 or 17 when, or 15 or 16 when this starts. And it goes on for six years, goes on 300 times before he actually files some kind of complaint. Yeah, he wouldn't, he, uh, he wouldn't have a problem with it. Um, Does not appear that he was having a problem as, with it. As we've, you know, Woody and me and Mike have all hammered down, but Woody being the expert in this is that you can't consent as a juvenile to uh, any sort of relationship with an adult. So whether he, whether he enjoyed it or not is beside the point. You don't, you can't consent to it. And that's where the charges come into play. And you're right. I mean, why wait five years and then come out? I don't know. Well, it said he was in some kind of a, some kind of rehab program right now. Mm-hmm. So we don't know what kind of rehab, right? So uh, maybe that's, you know, that's related. Maybe he uh, uh, was impacted emotionally in a big way by the, I mean, who knows? And he started out dating the daughter. I mean, this is just such mm-hmm. a effed up thing. Slimy. So the, the mother basically steals the daughter's uh, boyfriend and then, 300 times or however many times it was. She says, you know, whatever she said, no clue how many times it was. And, uh, and he had said that he thought it was, uh, 300 times. So, um, yeah, the, he's not the age of consent, but, um, you know, I think in normal, the normal course of things, if something went like this, the complaint probably never gets made because they clearly were still, uh, having sex with each other yeah. when he was of age, uh, right? Uh, at least for a year or two. So what a, I mean, just bizarre situation. Woody would have had something funny to say about oh, this. Yeah. I, I don't know what's funny about it, but, um, you know, hit on somebody. We'll get own, him to comment on the next, on, on the next episode, his thoughts. All right, Mike, uh, you know, we were Woody list today, and we made it through. Barely, I mean, <laughs> limping and definitely, and limping. Hopefully, definitely could have used could have used Woody on that last uh, absolutely that last session. So, uh, you know, Woody, get on social media there from your deathbed, and you know, give us some <laughs> feedback on on that story. Yeah, and we appreciate y'all listening. Uh, look, go to the Facebook page. We post uh, as we've referred to in this episode. When we talk about these stories, we're going to try to post so you can get a picture of what we're talking about uh, through the Facebook page. Please share uh, the episode on your social media, the links and all those sorts of things, and tell other people about Real Life for a Crime daily and, and all of those sorts of things. We really appreciate it. Until next time, I'm Jim Chapman. I'm Mike Agavino. For Real Life for a Crime daily, peace. Show business. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue. All in the Kroger app. Get three pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.